Thanks, Dave. Am I on? Good. That's really good. That's good to know that I'm on. Um, before I just start, can I, I've, it's come to my attention at least two people who need prayer this morning. Can I just pray for them? One is obviously aid. I don't know what, what's ailing him, but pray for aid. And also for dear Catherine, um, who's got dreadful problems with her toothache. You don't mind just praying for you, Catherine. Really good. Father God, we just want to lift our dear brother and sister up to you this morning. Jesus, we just pray for your healing touch on these bodies, we pray. Pray you would take away Catherine's pain, Father, from her uh, dental work. And whatever's ailing aid, Lord, just pray you may know your power of healing power in his life now. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Right. This is, this is so good. This, uh, thank you, band, this morning. You know, I didn't liaise at all with the band about what I was speaking about, what God had laid in my heart. But it was just perfect. Uh, there's such a lot. And Ma- uh, Margaret prayed earlier on saying about how God is pursuing us, isn't he? And he, there's no mountain that he'll climb up. And it just reminded me of that poem by um, Francis Thompson called The Hound of Heaven. Anybody come across that? Basically, it's, about, it's, a, it's quite a long poem, but it's about God is pursuing us relentlessly, every one of us. And it's up to us to actually be caught by him, if you like. And really, that's the theme of what I want to sort of speak about this morning, is coming to Jesus. Uh, let me just read from the passage which Aid gave me to preach from. And it's Mark 8, chapter 8, from verse 22 to verse 38. I'm reading from the New King James Version for one very good reason, because it's nice big print in my Bible. (laughs) But I think you should be able to follow it in any version. So verse 22 of Mark chapter 8. Then he, Jesus, came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, He asked him if he saw anything, and he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands and his eyes again and made him look up, and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. But he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? 
Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. When I first read this passage, it's quite a long, longish passage and there's a number of stories in there. And so I, I do what I often do. I go for a run and ask God, what's all this about, God? And do you know, two words came to me. You saw them on the screen at the beginning. The two words were draw near. And while I was thinking about what draw near means, I was thinking, you could put it another way, Jesus saying, come to me or follow me, draw near to me. Do you know, throughout the preaching and the teaching of Jesus uh, and the way he related people, there was an emphasis on him inviting people to come to him, to follow him, to learn from him and to draw near. We see this throughout the Gospels. We see it when he called his disciples. People said, where are you living? He said, come and see. When Nathaniel asked about him, somebody said, come and see. When people were weary and downhearted, he said, come and find rest. He said, if you are thirsty, come to me and I will give you drink. And he also in, in, invited outrageous um, episodes of faith. When Peter was in the boat and Jesus walked across the water, G Peter said, God, shall I, can I come to you? Jesus, shall I come to you? And he said, come. Jesus invites people to put him first in their lives, ahead of everybody else, ahead of father and mother, wife, say it carefully, uh, and sister and brother. You know what I mean. But, you know, he also reminded us that whoever the father promised to give, they would come to him. Do you know that there is a very clear message throughout of all, all of this is whoever we are, whatever our experience and circumstances, whether we, uh, wherever we are in our walk of faith, we need constantly to draw near to Jesus. It's from Jesus that we learn. It's Jesus himself said, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's in Matthew chapter 11. I'm not giving many references today, but if you want to, if you want to know where they are, come and see me afterwards. And you, they're all written down. Let's, before we go any further, let's just pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, you are humble and gentle of heart, and it's only in you that we can find rest for our soul. Jesus, as we come to you now, let our eyes be open. Let our minds be alert and let our hearts be receptive to learn from you. Amen. That's the end. No, it's not. <laughs> no. That's the beginning. So let's now look at this passage in Mark 8 and see how Jesus draws people to himself and how we can learn from him. So I'm just going to read little sections again. So reading from chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 22, just a few verses. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the town. And when he had spit in his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked if he saw anything. And he said, looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell anyone in the town. So here we are. Jesus, he'd taken a, a, um, a trip by boat, I believe it was, and arrives at the town of Bethsaida, which is on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. Quite north, quite a far, a long way north, uh, if you look at the map, uh, and with his followers, with his disciples. And here some folk come along, 
and bring a blind man to him, to Jesus. And they beg him to touch this blind man. Now, we don't know the name of this guy. We're not told what his name was. And we don't know whether he'd heard about Jesus. Probably he had, because Jesus was getting quite famous by this time. But the thing that impresses me, it was his friends who prompted him and brought him to Jesus. And, you know, the first challenge to us today, I think, is, is and it's such a big challenge. To, there are so many people who are blind to the truth, who are blind to sin, blind to their need for salvation. These people need bringing to Jesus. Our job is to take them to, see, to meet him. So here is Jesus with the blind man. And just look at what Jesus did next. He took him by the hand and he led him away. Now, I think Bethsaida was a smallish town or small village of about 300 inhabitants. And you can just imagine with the, the fame of Jesus, you know, he had thousands of people following him by now, that the, probably most of the town would have turned out to see this miracle worker, this great teacher. But, you know, Jesus actually took him by the hand and he led him out. Jesus is in, interested in us as individuals. When we come to him, he'll lead us to a place where he can minister to us one to one. And then Jesus led him away. And then he did something quite remarkable, something unexpectedly. We might even say strange. We heard, for those who were here a few weeks ago, when Ada was talking about the, the, the man who was dumb, how Jesus spat and touched the tongue of the mute man. I think we had a lot of discussions about why did he use spit. Uh, and here again, Jesus uses saliva on the eyes of the blind man. I mean, just for a matter of interest, some commentaries described how in the Greek culture of the time, uh, spit was thought to have antiseptic qualities. Maybe that's why. We don't know. But that's not the strange thing I'm referring to. It's not the spit. Here, the healing of the blind man seems to come in stages. Maybe you find it strange. Just two chapters later on in Mark chapter 10, when Jesus and his followers have moved on and they were coming out of Jericho, there's another blind man who comes to Jesus, a guy called Bartimaeus, you've probably heard of him, and we find that he is instantly healed. And then in John chapter 9, nearly the whole chapter is dedicated to this, this other blind man who's blind from birth, who Jesus, again using spit, uh, makes mud cakes, which he plasters on the man's eyes and then sends him to wash it in the pool of Siloam in Jerusalem. Do you know, sometimes we limit God, don't we? We put him in little boxes. We say, this is how God does this. This is how God does that. But, you know, um, as Paul says in Ephesians 3, God is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think. And just to maybe to illustrate the point, let me just give a few little short testimonies here uh, of my life. I, I'm a fairly sort of black and white person, I think, at times. And to me, healing was actually done the way it's described in James chapter 5 in the Bible. Basically, if you want to be healed, you call for the elders of the church, they anoint you with oil, and you're healed. And I thought, that's the way you get healed. Until I was at a, a little conference, a weekend conference in Dartmouth, and there's a couple of ladies coming to do a weekend on prophecy. They were, they were prophets. And uh, during, the I think, the Saturday night session, uh, we were there, and one of, the, one of the ladies, a lady called Liz Taylor, mm, yeah, not the Liz Taylor of the screen. It was actually a lady who went to school with Lynn years and years ago. She was, and she'd been a missionary all her life. But she was just describing how that Jesus um, can hold us in his hand as comfortably as we can hold like a pebble. I mean, I've, met, I've mentioned this to a few people before. 
And she was patting it round so we could just feel the warmth and the ease of the embrace that Jesus has of us. And as she's patting it round, she, she just said, I'm not, this is not my sort of ministry, but I, you know, I just wonder whether anybody wants some healing today. And the stone was coming round. As it turned out, I had an, another running injury. <laughs> it was a, one of the tops of one of my feet was really, really painful. I don't know what I'd done to it, but it was getting worse and worse. And it'd been there for quite a number of you know, weeks by this time. And as she said, maybe someone will come, come forward for healing, I thought, yeah, I'm going to go and ask for prayer for healing. You know, get your oil out, you know, as it says in James. But as Lynn passed me the stone, uh, this, this Liz, Liz Taylor, she said, and this is, she, this is not me, but as I was coming out tonight, I just felt God was saying, somebody's feet. And as she said that, I just felt this warmth, whoosh of power. Just, and it came from the top, just came through my, my body, and, the, and pain went like that. And I, and I thought, wow. You know, it, it, it ruined all my perceptions of what God, how God heals. And I'm thinking, no, hang about. Where's the oil and where's the elders? You know, but, and I think God was saying to me, don't shorten my arm. You know, don't try and restrict me. Uh, and then an, an, on another occasion, it was after this, I'm learning this very slowly, this message. I had problems with my arm, uh, with my elbow. Um, too much DIY, I think it was this time. And the pain had been getting worse and worse and worse. And we were doing an alpha course. And I'm going to mention Pete was there, actually. And when, before Pete came here, he came, he came to us in uh, Dartmouth. And Pete and Sue did. And Pete was on his alpha course. And there's another guy called Chris. And I, we were just there, I think it was on the Holy Spirit day we had, and, and I just felt a prompting by the Holy Spirit, ask for prayer. So I looked around, and Chris was there, and, and Pete was there. I said, Chris, Pete, will you do me a favor? Will you pray for my healing and my elbow? And uh, I, I don't know, Pete probably won't remember, but they went, oh, okay, okay. And I said, no, look, you don't need the faith, you just need to be obedient. And, and they prayed for it, and, and if it was an 8 out of 10 pain, the next day it was 4 out of 10 by the end of the week, it'd gone. Yeah, so, you know, that was just, a, it shows as another method God can heal, heal us. And then I think the last one I just want to share quick, very briefly, again, another running injury, or too many running injuries nowadays. And if you can see a scab on my head, that's a running injury as well. That's another story, come and ask me about Dave, or Dave will tell you about that, because he was nearly there for it. Um, but yes, yeah, I was, I had a, uh, a, there's a, this wonderful ligament, Plantar fasciitis, is it? What's it called? So yeah, under the yeah, and it's a it's a common running problem. And and I was and I was in church one morning. I think Polly and Fraser had been leading, and right at the end of the service, you know, they'd done all the ministry and all the rest of it, and they said, um, "Oh, if anybody wants any healing, you know, by by all means, do come." Anyway, we did what we did in those days: put all the chairs away and got it all packed away, and the church was emptying. In, and until only about five or six was in the church. So I said to Fraser and Polly, I said, actually, uh, could you just pray for my feet? So Polly, in her normal way, said, yeah, get your shoe off, get your sock off, Phil. And she got a little, boil, uh, little jar of oil out and she anointed it and they prayed for it. And again, within a few days, that had gone as well. So you know, there's so many ways God can actually work through us. You know. Jesus will minister us in the way that is the very, very best for us. Sometimes healing comes by stages, as we find with this man. Sometimes it's instantaneous, as it was with Bartimaeus, as it was with my foot on that first occasion. Sometimes it requires a response from us. It needs a step of faith. Go and wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. Polly, Fraser, will you please pray for my foot? 
So, you know, so the important thing, though, is not how we do it. The important thing is that we come in faith to Jesus, that we come to him. For the blind men in Bethsaida, so for the, for the blind men in Bethsaida, let's, in fact, before we go any further, let's just pray for our dear sister, shall we? Father God, we just want to, Lord, pray for Catherine now, Lord, that you would just bring healing to her. Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Lord, be healed. Amen. So for this man in Bethsaida, the blind man in Bethsaida, he had come to Jesus and he had found healing. But, you know, he'd also met with the Savior. And then um, Jesus and his, and his disciples, they moved on from there. And we're just going to read a few, few more verses now from verse 27 of Mark 8, which says, Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples, saying to them, who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist. And some say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him and said, you are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. So Jesus and his followers, they took a journey. And if you look on the map, it's about 20 miles north from Bethsaida up to Caesarea Philippi. So it's going to be a long journey, uh, and Jesus uses this time to reveal some life-changing truths. I can just imagine as, as they walked along, just, just imagine we're with Jesus now, and he's saying to them, just come a bit closer, just draw near. I've got a couple of important questions for you. And just look at the way Jesus uses a general question, a quite an easy question, to then focus into a very personal question. So the first question is, who do people say that I am? Well, it's a fairly easy question to answer, but all they've got to do is observe what other people are saying about Jesus. But the second question is much more personal. But who do you say that I am? This gets really, really personal. Can you see that how that when we draw near to Jesus, he is intimately interested in us, who we are, what we think, and he wants to draw from us the things that will keep him cl as close to him. You know, it's one of the most important questions that we can be asked. Who do you say that Jesus is? And take note from, from those two questions that the answer must come from our own heart. The answers of others just not, won't do for us. We have to give that answer from our own heart. When we draw near to Jesus, we come into a deep personal relationship with him. And it was Peter, the so-called spokesman of the disciples, who answered you are the Christ. Peter was entering this deep relationship with Jesus. Okay, Peter, as we read through the Gospels, still had an awful lot to learn. He let Jesus down so many times. But we're in the same position. We, we are on a journey with Jesus. We're going to let him down at times. But it's, the important thing is keep coming back. And like Peter was sustained throughout his life, we can be sustained by the power and the strength of this personal relationship with Jesus sometimes through many trials, right up until the point when we shall meet him face to face. Let's go on to the next few verses. Verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, 
but the things of men. So there's this amazing man, Jesus, who by now had thousands of followers. We know that because earlier in this, this chapter, he just fed a crowd of 4,000 people. And he was about to receive, receive, uh, reveal to them some astounding and some disturbing news. A real bombshell. But you know, this bombshell, this astounding news, just happened to be the culmination of his father's plan for the salvation of mankind. At the disciples at the time, it, it can't have seemed like that. But Jesus had to suffer. He had to be rejected and killed and then raised to life for the sake of mankind. Little did they realize it at the time, but Jesus was in effect telling them just how much God the Father loved them. Jesus, without Jesus' death on the cross, we would all be dead in trespasses and sins. We talked about this in the men's group. Sins is falling short of God's glory. So that's why we're all sinners. Since Adam, we're all sinners. Trespasses are our willful disobedience when we know we're doing wrong, but we do it anyway. And without, without Jesus' atoning for, for, for those sins and trespasses, we would be dead in trespasses and sins. But because of what he's done for us on the cross, Jesus sees us through Je uh, the Father sees us through Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus conquered death, giving us the hope of that final resurrection, which is another sermon altogether. But, you know, this message that the, is the message that the world needs to hear. And, you know, I'd be lovely to talk here with John's got, you know, John's evangelizing to the world. Wonderful. This is the news. This is the gospel that Jesus has conquered sin and death and salvation is freely available through Jesus Christ and what he has done. That, amen. That is the gospel. Very simple thing to say, but the world needs to hear this. Jesus was explaining what must happen to fulfill his purpose, but it sounded so awful that Peter took him aside and rebuked him. Do you know, Peter just didn't recognize God's plan in all of this. And his rebuke was a feeble attempt by Satan to distract Jesus. But Jesus simply told Satan to go away. Do you know, we must be so careful in this world to be, of being used by the deceiver to hinder God's work. So easy it happens. The little, a bitterness comes, the little root which grows and grows and grows. The two commandments Jesus gave us was to love God and to love each other. And that covers all, calls, covers everything, covers all the law. Do you know in Psalm 119, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So let the life-giving word of God fill, it, fill your hearts. And then in Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ask for a fresh filling daily. Um, last week, we were, I was at the Flavel Church in Dartmouth, and we were talking to one of the leaders there who'd been to a conference where the Open Doors CEO was speaking. And she asked her, what is the important thing for Christians in persecuted countries now? They said, know the word and be full of the spirit. Know the word, be full of the spirit. Because when the, your Bible's taken away and you're locked up for your faith, the spirit can minister through his word. We're told to, to worship God in spirit and in truth. And when we do, the deceiver the Satan has no place there. But now Jesus draws them still closer and makes faith in him very, very personal. Let's read this last section. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life 
will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So having explained to his disciples what was about to happen to him, Jesus then goes on to lay out what it will mean what it will mean for those who desire to come after him. If we respond to the invitation of Jesus to come and draw near, then we will be walking in the light and not in darkness. You can read that at the beginning of John's Gospel. But, you know, responding to this invitation has a cost. And here is the cost. I've just read it. Three things, Jesus says, to deny ourselves. And very simply, this means that we put the needs of others ahead of our own. As simple as that. In John 15, Jesus said, no greater love is this than that someone will lay his life, lay down his life for his brother or sister. Denying yourself is putting others first. Then the second thing is to take up your cross. The cross is a symbol of death. It's, it's an awful form of execution. But Jesus was willing to go take up his cross and give his life for each one of us. So taking up our cross means willing to give out all for the sake of Jesus, even laying down our life, as countless Christians have done over the centuries since. And the third thing he says is to follow him, follow Jesus. Here we have it again. Follow me, come to me, draw near to me. Following Jesus means following him wherever he may lead us, following his example. And then verse 35, it's such an important verse to understand. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. So if it's all about me, putting my desires, my wishes, what I want first, I'm going to lose, my, lose it all. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So if we're willing to give ourselves up, God will take us and he'll bring, our, bring us to that place of salvation. Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 6. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and the rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. This may seem a difficult message, but when we come to Jesus, you know, we are made complete. Listen to these couple of quotes of Paul's. Firstly, to the Colossians. You also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. We are complete through our union with Christ when we come to him. And to the Ephesians, he wrote, and the church, which is you and me, and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. We're made complete when we deny ourselves. Take up our cross daily and follow him. Verse 36 and 37 go on to say that we need to be prepared to let go of our own desires and ambitions and to come to Jesus in full surrender. By doing this, he makes us complete in him. And then Jesus concludes this passage, this short speech, with a warning. He says that if we are ashamed of Jesus and his words in this sinful world, then Jesus will be ashamed of us when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. 
I've written, this is a big gulp moment. <laughs> How many of us here at some time in our life have been unwilling to stand up for Jesus for fear of rejection or ridicule? Jesus knows about it. And I know there have been such times in my life. But, you know, Jesus stands there today with arms open wide to welcome us in. Welcome to forgive us for when times we failed him and to draw him, draw us back closer to him today. I'm nearly finished. So today you may be someone who has never come to Jesus. Jesus is there. He's pursuing us, but we've never come to him. If that is you, Jesus is inviting you now. Jesus is saying to you that he loves you, that he loves you so much that he laid his life down for you. If you will just come to him, he will make your life complete. And if you're thinking, okay, I'll give some thought to that, maybe do it tomorrow or next week or next year. This is, this is what it says in the Bible, in Corinthians. It says, the time, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. We do not know what tomorrow may bring. Come to Jesus today. Or this morning, you might be, like lots of us are, you may be someone who knows Jesus, but finds it difficult to deny yourself, to take up your cross and to follow him. Now, we're all in this journey somewhere in our lives, and we've all been there. But the answer still is to come to Jesus. This is the time to draw nearer to him, become closer to him. Jesus says to you and to me today, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Do you know, when, the, when the, the, many of the followers of Jesus uh, were leaving him uh, because they found it too difficult to follow him, Jesus turned around to his 12 disciples and he said, are you going to leave also? And do you know what Peter replied? Can you remember? He said, Lord, to who would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. It's in John 6. We have, we have a, a Thursday morning men's group, which a lot of you know about, uh, which has started off with two or three of us and has now grown into quite a, quite a large number. But a few weeks ago, Hopefully you remember this. Den comes up with wonderful questions quite regularly. And he asks us the question, give an explanation why you follow Jesus, why you continue to be a Christian. So we went around the room and giving out various answers. And the best answer that, came, that I heard, and I hope I'm not misquoting you, John, our dear brother John Phipps, he came up, he said, because the alternative is darkness. I mean, I think that was about roughly what he said, John, if I remember rightly. The alternative is darkness. Jesus is the only one who brings life and light. Read the first chapter of John's gospel. So come to him today. Draw near to him. I'm just going to pray in a minute. But as we finish the service, if people feel they want to come to Jesus and they want somebody to pray with them, please find somebody. I'm quite happy. There's lots of people here who will pray with you. you know, come for ministry. But the important thing is Obey that invitation. Draw, draw near to Jesus and come to him. Let's just pray. Father God, I thank you that you that you're, are like that, that hound of heaven that just pursues us. Lord, you want all men and all women and all boys and all girls to come to you and find that completeness in you. Find the love which, which just is your very essence. Find the joy and the peace which we can only get through you, Lord Jesus. And Father, I just want to pray that everyone here this morning may just hear that invitation from you. Come, draw near, and I will give you rest. And Lord, we pray, Father, that, that you just make 
us aware of, of you. You're there every moment of our day, every moment of our lives with that same invitation. Draw nearer, draw nearer. I can make you complete in me. Thank you, Lord. Amen.